Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. SRB Media. Wherever your mind wanders While combing through the years May love travel with you Forever And without fear Have grace to see the virtues Give thanks to them sometimes And love travel with you forever Good afternoon. Good evening, Matteo, and welcome all to a chapter of my life with author Matteo Sedazari. How's things, pal? The last time we hooked up was when your book uh, hit the shelves, Crafty Cigarette, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. You have got another one out now, A Tale of Agro. So how does that differ, and what's it all about? Well, Tales of Agro is a collection of short stories, 15 short stories centered on about six individuals. They are called the Magnificent Six. They start. They bonded when they became casuals in the 80s. It's Oscar the Paul, Eddie the Casual, Dino, Quicksilver, Jamie Joe, and Honest Lon. So some of the stories about their escapades and the ups and downs of the casual environment. And then I expand into their upbringings and maybe like with Honest for. Eddie the Casual, he has an uncle called Rockin' Wilf. And I have a flashback to the 70s where Rockin' Wilf is, is involved in, uh, a bur- in an armed robbery and police corruption. Oscar the Poor has a girlfriend called Stephanie Clark who forms a girls' band in the 90s and she tries to compete with the Spice Girls. And it's all about the ups and downs of being in the band. So, and one of the big influences I had. There were many, many influences I had, but one in particular was Jimmy McGovern, the uh, you know the, the writer from Liverpool, yeah. and he done a BBC series which ran for free called The Street, and I'm sure a lot of people remember it. And each of those was a, was a was a it was a story, one story, but all in the same street near Manchester, in Manchester, in the suburbs of Manchester, and then another character from from the next episode would appear, and it all overlap. And I love that style of writing because all these 15 short stories all stand alone. And also they all overlap, and it was complex. But saying that, I mean, one one thing I learned when I was writing Crafty Cigarette about myself, when I introduced the character like, with uh, with the key character's father working for Charlie Cronin, which never ever happened. Yeah. And uh, then I had the sort of like, joke with the steel of the bass or a certain member of the jam. I realised that I could actually like humour. I actually realised that it was. It was there, and obviously because I maybe watching things like Hancock, Monty Python, Porridge, Fools and Horses, and Minder, I tried to be, you know, that was another influence. All of those, especially Fools and Horses, was a big influence. So, yeah, but if you're into the whole subculture thing, Casuals, Mod, it's a book for you, and if you're into the whole poignant thing, it's a London book. I mean, people, I've got people that have come from Shepherd's Bush saying I've got that whole area spot on, so I'm proud of it, and I'm happy with it. Now, when you reference nicking Bruce Foxton's bass guitar, I actually, I actually believe that. I thought, I thought that you did. Never happened. Never <laughs> happened. I mean, what, what I've done with, I mean, all, all the emotions of that, the key character, which is based on me, it's all yeah. true. I mean that, and because I remember it so well, because it was such a poignant and such a great thing to discover. These three guys from Woking, Paul, Bruce, and Rick, and the music, and having no idea what mod was, having no idea who the jam were, had no idea they were near me, but yet they spoke to me, and then meeting all these other kids, my age that were into the jam and then we were like scruffy mods and then we became good mods and etc etc and really got into the whole scene and i wanted to catch the first two years of the whole mod thing because i thought 79 to 81 was when it was like quite childlike quite innocent and then it got violent as you know as we got nearer to leaving school and it did get very violent as we all know you know but it was violent then as well with skinheads etc 
Yeah, I thought that the, the, the whole book, the, 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 the theme and the thread running through it was about kids' culture and, and, and yeah. us. I, I really could relate to that character. And I think anybody reading that book of a certain age could because it was almost, as, okay, it was your school, but it could have been my school or, yeah. or somebody in the yeah. next city school. It, it was that well written. And, you know, when you were standing in assembly as naughty boys, <laughs> and, and all, and, you know, we, we've all been there. We've all yeah. been on that journey. And it was yeah. so relatable. You referenced the Spice Girls. Now, when you say that the, these stories overlap each other are they from a different time zone and period there's no there's no actually actually there's another book in it i read the hoods right which is the actually the book which was the influence for um uh, once upon a time in america the hoods is a real i think we you know it's me and my friend were talking about this i actually go right up to the present day i actually yeah. have the key characters i'm not going to spoil the plot it ends in the present day so I said it, the, the, it initially starts off in the 80s. The, actually, the first story is set in 1987, yeah. and it's about telesales, which is a career that I still do, and I had, and it just expands like that. But 80s is probably the main central thing, but it's not an 80-obsessive book. And the thing about Stephanie Clark, she starts off as Oscar's little girlfriend, and then she becomes this wonderful, confident singer, and she f- joins a girls' band that's specifically being designed and manufactured to compete with the Spice Girls. They're called uh, Bodicea. That's yeah. the name of the band, Bodicea. And they've gone for a funky element. They've got using these guys from Notting Hill. And Stephanie's really, and, it's, and I use my experience here. This is when it is a little bit autobiographical because I use my experience here of being in the band and the pitfalls and the heartache that you have because it is like being, in, well, it is being in a relationship. And if it works and it's successful like the Smith, the Jam, Isis, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm feeling that success with my writing. But when it fails, and this is a long time ago, it did for me, it did fail. But I put down that failure was necessary for me to use that material. It 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 it, it is absolutely devastating. It's soul destroying. It, really, it took it took me a few years to get SRB Media to create the character Stephanie or an aspect of her life. That competitiveness, because in the nineties with Britpop and the Spice Girls, I think there's a much more open door for music and much more. I think record companies were taking risks at the time as well. Yeah, record companies don't seem to be taking those same risks today. Okay, me too. The, yeah, the, there doesn't <laughs> seem to be risk takers anywhere today. <laughs> no. No, no, and when I say they don't need to, they've got such a backlog of artists, uh, you know, previous artists, which I could, me and you could talk browser through, they've got, there's anthologies, demos, demos of demos and demos of demos and rough things, and people will buy it, people will buy it, and they, they think, well, it's it's always been about, about making money, but let's not ever be under the illusion, music has always been about making money, when, it, when rock and roll was born, it was about making money. Elvis made money. Bill Haley made money. The Beatles made money. But it was new material. Yeah. It was new con- It was new artists. So, and they were given this, obviously, and with the punk thing, the whole record companies knew they had to sign, whether it was the Clash, the Pistols, the Dan, or the Dan one with the Independent or the Jam, and I might get some names wrong and people are going to think, or whether it was Blondie, you know, it's Christmas. They wanted this because they knew the kids were, were buying it, and obviously it helped to grow. Being a, being a certain age, obviously new music doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, but risk takers, there's not risk takers in publishing, there's not risk takers in filmmaking, uh, and it does seem a very, if you're a maverick or you're outspoken, then you can be ostracised if you don't follow the norm. That's that's how I feel. So how did you you go about the publication of your book? I'm, I'm guessing, you know, when you uh, pitched your uh, your title, Tales of Agro, to these publications, they they pretty much knocked you back, and I'm guessing it's another uh, self publication. Yeah, I use word. Yeah, totally and utterly. I mean, yeah. it is it actually is the. I mean, I like. I mean, I know it's an unsettling thing. It's like weird. I like Amazon because Amazon, if you're clever and not clever, is giving the opportunity for artists to put books out there, music out there, and you can market it. However, it would be great to have a big publishing. I mean, I approached a couple of agents with Tales of Agro, not Tales of Agro, my first book, Crafty Cigarette, and it was all like, yeah, well, no, yeah, maybe. And I thought, well, for the second one, I'll do it totally independent. My third one, which I'm working on, I will be approaching proper people, you know, investors, whether they're publishing companies or whether they're whatever, whether they're, you know, build a construction company, anyone with some cash that's willing to take a risk, you know, just find that risk take. 
How long did it take you to complete a the first book and and then the second book and and you're working on the third book now? Have you got a working title for the book? What what what? How far down um, the the road are you to getting well, this public published? Perfect. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that stage by stage. Crafty cigarette. That took me six months to write because obviously that's a cliche to say. I had that book in me. It just came out. It oozed out. Tales of Agro took two years to write, and that was a year behind schedule because the first 15 stories were really – and I'm not one of these perfectionists or uh, fear of failure. I have no fear of that. I will put it out there. But they were dire, and friends and family were all saying, no, th- th- this is this is thing. So that took me two years. The third book, I can't get the title away at the moment, but it's, it, it's going to be about – there's going to be an element of uh, childlike. It's going to be Wind in the Willows, maybe a little bit of Harry Potter, a bit of animals fighting the, the good fight against witches along those lines. It's going back to my real roots, which is things like – or my early roots, like the Magic Fire, H3, Wind in the Willows, 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. I've, I've scheduled to like 15 chapters. I'm already on chapter nine. Yeah, I'm yeah. already there. Uh, and as for with regard to writing – I have a schedule. I'm a very disciplined person. I will have a timetable, an Excel spreadsheet. I will look at content and material I need to resource. For instance, you know, I will buy books that will suit the style that I need. I will look, watch TV programs, and then I'll write. It's, you know, I'll get up at 8 o'clock, have a workout, hit the PC at 10 o'clock at the weekends. Is it easier to write in an autobiographical sense, which is pretty much what a crafty cigarette was, slightly embellished, or something that is totally fictional? Fictional. Yeah. Any day of the week. Because fictional, I mean, obviously, I draw for the instance, I found, well, it was Tales of Agro. When I was creating this universe, whether it was Oscar the Paul or Rocky Wolf or Eddie the Casual or another one called Priscilla Price, who was a page free girl who ends up getting involved in the town of country murder, creating these fictional characters was marvellous when I was working writing on Crafty Cigarette I had to keep in the perimeters of actually the key characters I couldn't escalate on it so fiction is much better fun. I mean, I, I'd rather go down that route for the rest of my writing career really uh, just using fictional accounts again it's something that's in, in your head it's something that that it, it must be you know again researching and doing fact books is one thing but yeah. sitting and just writing and and creating yeah. your own little world is, yeah. is something completely different and also you 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 says that you have certain times but when you're writing in a, fi- a fictional manner surely there are sometimes it might even be the, the middle of the night i mean songwriters do this they have a, a piece of paper and a pen by the side of the bed does yeah. something just come to you and so what i'm saying is with fact you can go research and you go look i'm going to be regimented i'm going to be disciplined i'm yeah, going to yeah, do yeah, that yeah, yeah. but when it's fictional you're writing something you think blimey that's a great little line i want to go down that little road and that and sometimes it leads you a cul-de-sac you come back out you revisit it but you don't know when them 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 juices are going to flow do you for 24 hours a day you're on it all the time surely you are, you are. I mean, it, for instance, it's like uh, with Tales of Agro and with a new book I'm writing, I'll write a chapter, I will have some characters in it, I will come along, I will sleep on it, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and think, I've got to have that. And it's all about absorbing and it, it, it is fun. Yeah, you've got that. You've got quite quite a And you're right, it is with you 24-7. And this is why you've got to have that balance because I will probably smash it for maybe, I hate using the word smash it, yeah. I'll probably be absorbed in it for three days. And then the following three days, I will do other things the day job do the do the food shopping <laughs> cut the grass you know what i mean watch champions league football and you know watch italian football along those lines and forget about the book and then i come back to it as a whole new adventure again i know there's writers that will have six months or for a year they would just do nothing else but write i like to have balance yeah but those the days that i'm in it the days that i'm in in the intensity of writing and i don't like using the word intensity as a negative uh, thing i mean intensity is a real positive thing and you know your phone's on silent you're on flight mode it's wonderful but, and, but yeah then then to keep your sanity you have to step out of it because you can go you know i could do i could easily go a bit do lally over it or more do lally than i already am <laughs> Um, how are you going about promoting the book? How easy or how difficult is it? Where can people buy it from? 
the, 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 the press on this is slowly picking up. I mean, it's Amazon purely, Tales of Agro Amazon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's got seven reviews. What well, Crafty's got about 95 reviews. It's slowly, it's in the, it's people like you. It's people like you, independent podcasts, independent press, that are the ones that are the most supportive. However, saying that, I haven't touched, I haven't gone back to the, you know, to maybe the mainstream media at this moment in time because I want to get a body of work. But it's guys like you that are willing to take 20 minutes out of your day, support us, allow us to, allow us to have a say without any prejudgment, without giving us any, you know, just doing it, and then we can just get out of there. And that's how it is. It is the case of, like, social media, Instagram, Facebook. I don't use Twitter so much because I just, whatever. But some people like Twitter, Twitter, whatever it is. So Instagram, Facebook, word of mouth, along those lines. I mean, I, I met someone the other day who's I met, met some woman, white, uh, a woman. She asked me about my books, and I told her crafty cigarettes. She couldn't believe it because she was telling me it was her husband's favourite book. So little things like that are quite nice. So it's word of mouth and social media and other bits and pieces, you know, and have and, and paying for adverts as well on social media. Now you also referenced um, artists, uh, primarily the jam and the Spice Girls as well with the Bodice uh, the, the, the fictitious girl band have yeah. you got have you got a music uh, thread that runs through as well do, do you reference music like you did in Crafty Cigarette and if so have you got a Spotify account where you can put a playlist together and get their out on social media because I find that's a decent tool to promote your work as well there's because there's the music that's going. I mean, I, don't, I went in the studio and I recorded two tracks. One was called Tales of Agro and Crafty Cigarette. And you asked me, you were right about music because music is one of my first and last loves. And for me to write about it and drop it, it's still in there. I mean, there is references to the jam. There's, there's actually more references to the Style Council. I even have Rock and Wolf talking about Shiwadi Wadi uh, along those lines. And then there's, then there's Jamie Joe, who's a real jazz funker, who introduces these bunch of mods into the whole jazz funk thing. So music, that's that is a really wonderful thing you've picked up on there. And I did, and subconsciously, music was always running through it. And you're right about me. Like I should do a little Tales of Agro Spotify playlist because then people will get a feel of what the music's about. Jazz, funk, and, you know, soul does feature a lot in, in Tales of Agro and a little bit of rock and roll as well, Elvis Presley, which you can never knock Elvis anyway, in my opinion. Because that kind of jazz, funk, like, club element that, that started pretty much in the early 80s, you know, uh, Imagination, Loose Ends and, and, and bands yeah. like that. I mean, that, 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 started in, uh, that started in North London as well. It was all a, a North London club scene, wasn't it? So, again, pretty consistent with, with what you're writing in. Tale yeah. of Agro. Exactly, and I capture that because it, it, it's like when when, when these because they all love from Church Bush and Jamie Joe moves to, moves to the area, and he's he's he introduces them to the whole jazz funk and the British soul thing, and these kids that are mods suddenly realise this is wonderful music, yeah. and I do think the British jazz funk scene and the soul thing is something I maybe. Down the line, I think you get more recognition because it seems to be overshadowed that people don't realise. I mean, I was too young for it. I went to the Walton Hall, which unfortunately has got a bad name. But I did like funk when it came out because it was exciting. It was there was an element because these were working class kids, working class kids with teaching themselves how to play funky bass or the horn instruments and play amazing drummers with amazing vocals. We're doing recording these in sort of like backstreet recording studios, not mega studios, and producing this wonderful, wonderful music that stood the test of time well and still falls to the heart of joy. So, yeah, I, th- I think I should definitely do something like that about the jazz funk. And you're right, it's definitely got that sort of like London feel to it, you know, from the street, DIY culture. I remember talking to Lee John about the, uh, the the growth of that culture, and he was saying it was quite funny, really, that you'd have these mods and skinheads and punk rockers turn up and and just transform themselves into like jazz funkers because they liked the music, and then they were yeah. back to doing what they did, almost like what you do. You do your writing, and go back to your day job. They go out and watch bands like Imagination, the British funk movement, and stuff like that, then go back to being a skinhead and a punk rocker. It was quite bizarre really but those were the times of the late 70s and the early 80s it was a, a very it was a great time of introducing and finding new music 
Yeah, it was, and I can remember that. You know, and I, I cover this in Crafty Cigarette as well. With like, there's a character called Rick, which is based on I don't mind saying his name because he's not going to sue me. Based on a really good friend of mine, Richard Knights, yeah. and both he and I were very, very much into the whole funk thing because Richard had an older brother that was buying the sort of like Imagination, Shack Attack, and all these records, and we were playing them. And as I mentioned in Crafty Cigarette, we had to keep that a secret from a lot of mods, not all mods, not all mods, but a lot of mods we had to keep it a secret because it would seem like blasphemy. Or you know that we were we were traitors that we were listening to jazz funk music and we weren't listening to like music that was like had that label modern it. So that I've always you know found that quite a strange thing, you know, that restriction because it is and it was great music that was that came from the street. It might you know there's an anger there, but a beautiful anger, a positive energy. And Zayna, you uh, you mentioned Zayna at the uh, at the top of the interview. Your uh, your website, yeah. uh, all the W's dot Zayna. Yeah. .co.uk. Yeah. Are you selling the uh, the books through your website as well? No, I mean, I've got, there's there, there's a page there where you know yeah. people the, the photographs of people like Anna Ford with a copy of the book, Trevor Lard, Quadrophenia with a copy of the book, and Anna McGee, and then there's all that. But there's a page there to do it for Amazon. I just find with Amazon, and it's not because I'm lazy, but obviously I, I look for most of the cost-effective thing. Yeah. It would cost me so much, you know, money just to stuff an envelope and all that. Because I'm a one-man band. Yes. I might as well, I might as well lose 50p or a pound one way, and it gets done from via Amazon, and it gets sent directly to the person. That, and if there's, if it gets lost in post, so yeah, I, I just send people to the Amazon link to answer your question. Which is pretty good because then it leads you onto Amazon Prime, and you never know. You could hit the silver screen, or, or certainly the, oh. uh, the little screen, couldn't you? Kitchen. That 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 is definitely in the pipeline. That's that that is in the pipeline. That's something I am working on. I have, I, I you know I'm not I, I'm not keeping my cards to my chest just to sort of like be arrogant, but it's on the pipeline. I'm working on that. And because Tales of Agro would make a great TV series or a good web series, and Crafty Secret would make a good film. I mean, there's been a few more films coming out at the moment, which I think okay, great, they'll come out. But I think, I mean, Crafty's still selling. I mean, the other day I sold seven copies online. I can't believe it. That's, yeah. And that's no press promotion. Yeah. That 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 is like, that stood. And that, which tells the fact that my third book is enough to show to people and indicate to people, I haven't done anything to prove myself because I know I'm good at what I do. Yeah. But to prove to someone that this is worth taking a gamble with, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a calculated gamble or whatever the term was, because it's there. The context, the context is there, and it can reach out to more people. And the fact that Crafty is still selling after three years, and selling, especially now, the lead up to Christmas. But, you know, I want people now to move over to Tales of Agro and see that Tales of Agro, they complement each other. No one's better than the other, they complement each other. And your book cover, wonderful book cover, uh, Doc Martin Boots in a town called Malice. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much yeah. Dean Kavanagh designed that. The the uh, my, you know the writer, I gave him I gave him some like, synopsis of the chapters, and he he sent me an email. I said, Look, can I do the cover for you? I said, Yeah, please do. And I didn't give him any guidelines. Those the DM boots, he got those from the idea. You remember we we obviously didn't see them, but if you look at YouTube clips of the Who, around about 74, 75, yeah. and you got Townsend in that white boiler suit with his DM boots. Oh, Australia. That's what they, I did. I didn't pay the homage to it. Dean put homage to it because he says when he read Tales of Agro, he said it was like reading the Who book. I'll take that as a compliment. I would take anything that you're referenced with the Who as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and that's quite because I started. You know, I started. I started really. Just like when I just like when I wrote Crafty Cigarette, I rediscovered the jam, I rediscovered the Secret Fair, and I rediscovered the sound of Motown and the Atlanta. When I was like Tales of Agro, because Tales of Agro is set in that Shepherd's Bush, I rediscovered the Who, you know, like watching the kids who are right for the upteen thump, but watching differently. The documentary about Pete Lambert and the other manager whose name's escapes me, uh, Chris Stamp, Chris Stamp, watching a documentary about them, and then I watched a great documentary about the Who when they made the original Quadrophenia in 1973 in the, in the youth club in Sherbert's Bush, and I read and I read Townsend's autobiography, and that suddenly really, really took me to another level because I suddenly got another insight to the who other than just being the original 60s band and the depth you know townsend you know amazing 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 what he's done i'd love to get a copy of it i love to and i will do that that will happen to get a copy to someone like pete townsend i can't call him pete because i don't know him and just to see what they think if you could sum up tales of agro in one song or used a song to promote the book or to market the book what song would you use 
Do Anything by Alien Hot Rods. That's a correct title. Or uh, maybe Town Called Malice. Let's go with that then, brother. Yeah, Town Called Malice, yeah. Town Called Malice, because it's got that soul funky groove to it, yeah. yeah. And at the time at the time when the Jam recorded the gift, it probably was the greatest gift that any band has given to any set of supporters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because the, the, their last book, large few songs that I said about '83, when the whole mod thing and the jazz funk thing was sort of overlapping, as you know, yeah. you know, along those lines. And it was interesting. And the thing is, it's the great thing about you know we're the same generation. We valued it then at the time, so we're not looking back with rose tinted glasses and saying, "Oh my word, I missed out on that." We felt that vibration as it was happening in nineteen in the eighties, and that's and that's a great feeling to have because you take it on further on in life, as far as I'm concerned. And we still remember that interview that Paul Weller done. I think what was it for Nationwide TV, TV on, yeah. on Brighton P when he said he's going to yeah. one jam the jam. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that that's like yeah, and he was really like you know what I mean, you know what I mean, and like you know, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's like because I found on YouTube as we all did, but I remember that he had that Burberry coat on, yeah, and we all we all like having our you know it was in, it was in the eighties, so you would have your dinner on your on your lap in those days, you know, it wasn't like so sophisticated, and it'd be like oh yeah, Paul, you know, putting your ketchup on them, and it was just you sat there and it was like. And it was this time, wasn't it? It was like yeah. it was December the nineteen eighty two. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, quite hard. So yeah, I remember that interview. Yeah, time yeah. flies and time has flown by with you, uh, Matteo. So can I thank you so much, thank you so much. for that time? And uh, good luck with the book, uh, Tale of Agro. Good luck with the still copy has been sold of a crafty cigarette and thank you at to date the unnamed title book of your third in the trilogy so far and we're going to go thank ahead you. mate with a town called malice by the jam enjoy cheers pal thank you so much cheers thank you thank you bye bye good afternoon Good evening, Matteo, and welcome all to a chapter of my life with author Matteo Cedazari. How's things, pal? The last time we hooked up was when your book uh, hit the shelves, A Crafty Cigarette, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. You have got another one out now, A Tale of Agro. So how does that differ and what's it all about? Well, Tales of Agro is a collection of short stories, 15 short stories centered on about six individuals. They are called the Magnificent Six. They start, they bonded when they became casuals in the 80s. It's Oscar the Paul, Eddie the Casual, Dino, Quicksilver, Jamie Joe, and Honest Lon. So some of the stories about their escapades and the ups and downs of the casual environment. And then I expand into their upbringings and maybe like with Honest Lot for... Eddie the Casual, he has an uncle called Rockin' Wolf. And I have a flashback to the 70s where Rockin' Wolf is, is involved in, uh, a bur- uh, in an armed robbery and police corruption. Oscar the Poor has a girlfriend called Stephanie Clark who forms a girls band in the 90s and she tries to compete with the Spice Girls. And it's all about the ups and downs of being in the band. So, and one of the big influences I had there were many, many influences I had, but one in particular was Jimmy McGovern, the uh, you know the, the writer from Liverpool, and he done a BBC series which ran for free called The Street, and I'm sure a lot of people remember it. And each of those was a, was a was a it was a story, one story, but all in the same street near Manchester, in Manchester, in the suburbs of Manchester, and then another character from from the next episode would appear, and it all overlap. And I love that style of writing because all these 15 short stories all stand alone. And also they all overlap, yeah. and it was complex. But saying that, I mean, one one thing I learned when I was writing Crafty Cigarette about myself, I introduced the character like, with uh, with the key character's father working for Charlie Cronin, which never ever happened. Yeah. And uh, then I had this sort of like joke with the steel of the bass of a certain member of the Jam. I realised that I could actually like humour. Yeah. I actually realised that it was. It was there, and obviously because I may be watching things like Hancock, Monty Python, Porridge, Fools and Horses, and Minder, I tried to be, you know, that was another influence. All of those, especially Fools and Horses, was a big influence. So, yeah, but if you're into the whole subculture thing, casuals, mods, it's a book for you, and if you're into the whole poignant thing, it's a London book. I mean, people, I've got people that have come from Shepherd's Bush saying I've got that whole area spot on, so I'm proud of it, and I'm happy with it. Now, when you reference nicking Bruce Foxton's bass guitar... I actually 
I actually believe that. I thought thought that you did. Never happened. Never <laughs> happened. I mean, what what I've done with well, I mean, all the, all the emotions of that the key character, which is based on me, is all yeah. true. I mean that, and because I remember it so well, because it was such a poignant and such a great thing to discover these three guys from Woking, Paul, Bruce, and Rick, and the music, and having no idea what mod was, having no idea who the jam were, had no idea they were near me, but yet they spoke to me, and then meeting all these other kids my age. They were into the jam, and then we were like scrappy mods, and then we became good mods, and etc. etc. And really got into the whole scene. And I wanted to catch the first two years of the whole mod thing because I thought 79 to 81 was when it was like quite childlike, quite innocent, and then it got violent as you know, as we got nearer to leaving school, and it did get very violent, as we all know, you know, but it was violent then as well with skinheads, etc. Yeah, I thought that the, the, the whole book, the the, the the theme and the thread running through it was about kids' culture and, and, and yeah. us. I, I really could relate to that character. And I think anybody reading that book of a certain age could because it was almost, as, okay, it was your school, but it could have been my school or, yeah. or somebody in the yeah. next city school. It, it was that well written. And, you know, when you were standing in assembly as naughty boys, <laughs> and, and all, and, you know, we, we've all been there. We've all yeah. been on that journey. And it was yeah. so relatable. You reference the Spice Girls. Now, when you say that the, these stories overlap each other, are they from yeah. a different time zone and period? There's no, there's no, actually, actually, there's another book in it. I read The Hoods, right, which is the, actually the book which was the influence for um, uh, Once Upon a Time in America. The Hoods is a real, I think me and you, that was me and my friend were talking about this. I actually go right up to the present day. I actually yeah. have the key characters. I'm not going to spoil the plot. It ends in the present day. So I said it, the, the, it initially starts off in the 80s. The, actually, the first story is set in 1987, yeah. and it's about tele which is a career that I still do, and I had, and it just expands like that. But 80s is probably the main central thing, but it's not an 80-obsessive book. And the thing about Stephanie Clark. She starts off as Oscar's little girlfriend, and then she becomes this wonderful, confident singer, and she f joins a girls' band that's specifically been designed and manufactured to compete with the Spice Girls. They're called uh, Bodicea. That's yeah. the name of the band, Bodicea. And they've gone for a funky element. They've got using these guys from Notting Hill. And Stephanie's written this. And I use my experience here. This is when it is a little bit autobiographical because I use my experience here of being in the band and the pitfalls and the heartache that you have because it is like being, well, it is being in a relationship. And if it works and it's successful, like the Smith, the Jam, or Isis, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm feeling that success with my writing. But when it fails, and this is a long time ago, it did for me, it did fail. But I put down that failure was necessary for me to use that material. It, 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 it is absolutely devastating. It's soul-destroying. SRB Media. To create the character Stephanie, or an escapade of her life, that competitiveness. Because in the 90s, with Britpop and the Spice Girls, I think there's a much more open door for music and much more. I think record companies were taking risks at the time as well. Yeah, record companies don't seem to be taking those same risks today. I need to. The, yeah, there doesn't <laughs> seem to be risk takers anywhere today. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, and when I say they don't need to, they've got such a backlog of artists, uh, you know, previous artists, which I could, me and you could talk browser of who they've got. There's anthologies, demos, demos of demos and demos of demos and rough things, and people will buy it. People will buy it, and they they think, well, it's it's always been about, about making money. But let's not ever be under the illusion. Music has always been about making money. When it, when rock and roll was born. It was about making money. Elvis made money. Bill Haley made money. The Beatles made money. But it was new material. Yeah. It was new con It was new artists. So, and they were given this, obviously, and with the punk thing, the whole record companies knew they had to sign, whether it was the Clash, the Pistols, the Dan, or the Dan one with Independent, or the Jam, and I might get some names wrong and people are going to think, or whether it was Blondie, you know, to Christmas. They wanted this because they knew the kids were, were buying it, and obviously it helped to grow. Being a, being a certain age, obviously new music doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, but risk takers, there's not risk takers in publishing, there's not risk takers in filmmaking, uh, and it does seem a very, if you're a maverick or you're outspoken, then you can be ostracised if you don't follow the norm. That's, that's how I feel. So how did you you go about the publication of your book? I'm, I'm guessing, you know, when you uh, pitched your uh, your title, Tales of Agro, to these publications, 
they they pretty much knocked you back and I'm guessing it's another uh, self publication. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally and utterly. I mean mm. it is it actually is the I mean I like I mean I know some totally thing, it's like weird. I like Amazon because Amazon, if you're clever and not clever, is giving the opportunity for artists to put books out there, music out there, and you can market it. However, it would be great to have a big publishing. I mean I approached a couple of agents who told Vagro not Tovagro, my first book, Crafty Stigrat, and it was all like, Yeah, well, no, yeah, maybe and I thought well for the second one I'll do it totally independent my third one which i'm working on i will be approaching proper people you know investors whether they're publishing companies or whether they're whatever whether they're, you know a building construction company anyone with some cash that's willing to take a risk you know i just find that risk take how long did it take you to complete a the first book and and then the second book and and you're working on the third book now. Have you got a working title for the book? What, what, what? How far down um, the the road are you to getting well, this public published? Perfect. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that stage by stage. Crafty cigarette. That took me six months to write because obviously that's a cliche to say. I had that book in me. It just came out, it oozed out. Tales of Agro took two years to write, and that was a year behind schedule because the first 15 stories were really – and I'm not one of these perfectionists or uh, fear of failure. I have no fear of that. I will put it out there. But they were dire, and friends and family were all saying, no, th th this is this is thing. So that took me two years. The third book, I can't get the title away at the moment, but it's, it, it's going to be about – there's going to be an element of uh, childlike. It's going to be Wind in the Willows, maybe a little bit of Harry Potter, a bit of animals fighting the, the good fight against witches along those lines. It's going back to my real roots, which is things like – or my early roots, like the Magic Faraway Tree, Wind in the Willows, 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. I've, I've scheduled to like 15 chapters. I'm already on chapter nine. Yeah, I'm yeah. already there. Uh, and as for with regard to writing – I have a schedule. I'm a very disciplined person. I will have a timetable, an Excel spreadsheet. I will look at content and material I need to resource. For instance, you know, I will buy books that will suit the style that I need. I will look, watch TV programs, and then I'll write. It's, you know, I'll get up at 8 o'clock, have a workout, hit the PC at 10 o'clock at the weekends. Is it easier to write in an autobiographical sense, which is pretty much what a crafty cigarette was, slightly embellished, or something that is totally fictional? Fictional. Yeah. Any day of the week. Because fictional, I mean, obviously, I draw for the instance, I found, well, it was Tales of Agro. When I was creating this universe, whether it was Oscar the Paul or Rockin' Wolf or Eddie the Casual or another one called Priscilla Price, who was a page free girl who ends up getting involved in the town and country murder, creating these fictional characters was marvellous. When I was working writing on Crafty Cigarette, I had to keep in the perimeters of actually the key characters. I couldn't escalate on it. So fiction is much better fun. I mean, I, I'd rather go down that route for the rest of my writing career, really, uh, just using fictional accounts. Again, it's something that's in, in your head. It's something that that it, it must be you know again researching and doing fat books is one thing but yeah. sitting and just writing and and creating yeah. your own little world is, yeah. is something completely different and also you 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 says that you have certain times but when you're writing in a, fi a fictional manner Surely there are sometimes, it might even be the, the middle of the night. I mean, songwriters do this. They have a, a piece of paper and a pen by the side of the bed. Does yeah. something just come to you? And so what I'm saying is, with fact, you can go research and you go, look, I'm going to be regimented. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm yeah, going to yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But when it's fictional, you're writing something, you think, blimey, that's a great little line. I want to go down that little road. And that. And sometimes it leads you a cul-de-sac. You come back out, you revisit it. But you don't know when them 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 juices are going to flow, do you, 24 hours a day. You're on it all the time, surely. You are. You are. I mean, it, for instance, it's like uh, with Tales of Agro and with a new book I'm writing, I'll write a chapter. I will have some characters in it. I will come along. I will sleep on it. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and think, I've got to have that. And it's all about absorbing. And it, it, it is fun. Yeah, you've got that. You've got a card, card response. And you're right. It is with you 24-7. And this is why you've got to have that balance because I will probably smash it for maybe – I hate using the word smash it. Yeah. I'll probably be absorbed in it for three days. And then the following three days, I will do other things the day job do the do the food shopping <laughs> cut the grass you know what i mean watch champions league football and you know watch italian football along those lines and forget about the book 
and then I come back to it as a whole new adventure again. I know there's lighters that will have six months or for a year, they will just do nothing else but light. I like to have balance. Yeah. But those the days that I'm in it, the days that I'm in in the intensity of writing, and I don't like using the word intensity as a negative uh, thing. I mean intensity as a real positive thing, and you know your phones are silent, you're on flight mode. It's wonderful. But and, but yeah, then then to keep your sanity, you have to step out of it because you can go. You know, I could do. I could easily go a bit doolally over it, or more doolally than I already am. <laughs> Um, how are you going about promoting the book? How easy or how difficult is it? Where can people buy it from? The, 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 the press on this is slowly picking up. I mean, it's Amazon purely. Toes of Agro Amazon. Yeah. Um, and it's got seven reviews. What well, Crafty's got about ninety-five reviews. It's slowly. It's in. The, it's people like you. It's people like you. Independent podcasts, independent press. That the ones that are the most supportive. However, saying that, I haven't touched, I haven't gone back to the, you know, to maybe the mainstream media at this moment in time because I want to get a body of work. But it's guys like you that are willing to take 20 minutes out of your day, support us, allow us to, allow us to have a say without any prejudgment, without giving us any, you know, just doing it, and then we can just get out there. And that's how it is. It is the case of like social media, Instagram, Facebook. I don't use Twitter so much because I just, whatever. But some people like Twitter, Twitter, whatever it is. So Instagram, Facebook, word of mouth, along those lines i mean i, I met someone the other day who's I met, met some woman why a, a woman she asked me about my books and i told her crafty cigarettes she couldn't believe it because she was telling me it was her husband's favorite book so little things like that are quite nice so it's word of mouth and social media and other bits and pieces you know and have and, and paying for adverts as well on social media now you also referenced um artists uh, primarily the jam and the spice girls as well with the bodice uh, this uh, the, the the fictitious girl band have yeah. you got have you got a music thread that runs through as well do, do you reference music like you did in crafty cigarette and if so have you got a spotify account where you can put a playlist together and get there out on social media because i find that's a decent tool to promote your work as well there's because there's the music to go. I mean, I don't. I went in the studio and I recorded two tracks. One was called Tales of Vagrant Crafty Cigarette. And you asked me, you were right about music because music is one of my first and last loves. And for me to write about it and drop it, it's still in there. I mean, there is references to the jam. There's, there's actually more references to the Style Council. I even have Rockin' Wolf talking about Shiwadi Wadi uh, along those lines. And then there's Jamie Joe, who's a real jazz funker, who introduces this bunch of mods into the whole jazz funk thing. So music, that's, that is a really wonderful thing you've picked up on there. And I did, and subconsciously, music was always running through it. And you're right about me. Like I should do a little Tales of Agro Spotify playlist because then people get a feel of what the music's about. Jazz, funk, and, you know, soul does feature a lot in, in Tales of Agro and a little bit of rock and roll as well, Elvis Presley, which you can never knock Elvis anyway, in my opinion. Because that kind of jazz, funk, like, club element that, that started pretty much in the early 80s, you know, called, uh, Imagination, Loose Ends and, and, and bands yeah. like that. I mean, that, 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 started in, uh, that started in North London as well. It was all a, a North London club scene, wasn't it? So, again, pretty consistent with, with what you're writing in. Tale yeah. of Agro. Yeah, exactly, and I capture that because it, it, it's like when when these because they all love from Church Bush and Jamie Joe moves that moves to the area, and he's he's he introduces them to the whole jazz funk and the British soul thing, and these kids that are mods suddenly realise this is wonderful music, yeah. and I do think the British jazz funk scene and the soul thing is something I maybe. Down the line, I think you get more recognition because it seems to be overshadowed that people don't realise. I mean, I was too young for it. I went to the Walton Hall, which unfortunately it's got a bad name. But I did like funk when it came out because it was exciting. It was there was an element because these were working class kids, working class kids with teaching themselves how to play funky bass or the horn instruments and play amazing drummers with amazing vocals. We're doing recording these in sort of like back street recording studios, not mega studios, and producing this wonderful, wonderful music that stood the test of time well and still full to the heart of joy. So, yeah, I think I should definitely do something like that about the jazz funk. And you're right, it's definitely got that sort of London feel to it, you know, from the street, DIY culture. I remember talking to Lee John about the, uh, the the growth of that culture, and he was saying it was quite funny, really, that you'd have these mods and skinheads and punk rockers turn up and and just transform themselves into like jazz funkers because they liked the music, and then they were yeah. back to doing what they did 
boom, almost like what you do, you do your writing and go back to your day job. They go out and watch bands like Imagination, the British funk movement and stuff like that, then go back to being a skidhead and a punk rocker. It was quite bizarre, really. But those were the times of the late 70s and the early 80s. It was a, a very, it was a great time of introducing and finding new music. Yeah, it was, and I can remember that, you know, and I, I covered this in Crafty Cigarette as well, like, there's a character called Rick, which is based on, I don't want to say his name because he's not going to sue me, based on a really good friend of mine, Richard Knights, yeah. and both he and I were very, very much into the whole funk thing, because Richard had an older brother that was buying the sort of, like, Imagination, Shack Attack, and all these records, and we were playing them, and as I mentioned in Crafty Cigarette, we had to keep that a secret from a lot of mods, not all mods, not all mods, but a lot of mods, we had to keep it a secret, because it would seem like blasphemy, or you know that we were we were traitors that we were listening to jazz funk music and we weren't listening to like music that was like had that label mod in it. So they've always you know found that quite a strange thing, you know, that restriction because it is and it was great music that was that came from the street. It might, you know, there's an anger there, but a beautiful anger, a positive energy. And Zayna, you uh, you mentioned Zayna at the uh, at the top of the interview. Your uh, your website, yeah. uh, all the W's dot Zayna. Yeah. Yeah. Are you selling the uh, the books through your website as well? No, I mean, I've got, there's there, there's a page there where you know yeah. people the, the photographs of people like Anna Ford with a copy of the book, Trevor Lard, Quadrophenia with a copy of the book, and Anna McGee, and then there's all that. But there's a page there to do it for Amazon. I just find with Amazon, and it's not because I'm lazy, but obviously I, I look for most of the cost-effective thing. Yeah. It would cost me so much you know, money just to stuff an envelope and all that, because I'm a one-man band. Yes. I might, as well, I might as well lose 50p or a pound one way, and it gets done from fire Amazon, and it gets sent directly to the person that, that, and if, there's, if it gets lost in post. So, yeah, I, I just send people to the Amazon link to answer your question. Which is pretty good because then it leads you onto Amazon Prime, and you never know. You could hit the silver screen, or, or certainly the, oh. the little screen, couldn't you? Oh, that, 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 that is definitely in the pipe. That's that that is in the pipeline. That's something I am working on. I have, I, I you know, I'm not, I, I'm not keeping my cards to my chest just to sort of like be arrogant, but it's on the pipeline. I'm working on that, and because Tales of Agro would make a great TV series or a good web series. And Crafty Secret would make a good film. I mean, there's been a few more films coming out at the moment, which I think, okay, great, they'll come out. But I think, I mean, Crafty's still selling. I mean, the other day I sold seven copies online. I can't believe it. And that's, yeah. and that's no press promotion. Yeah. That, that, that is like, that stood. And that, with Tales of Agro, my third book, is enough to show to people and indicate to people, well, I haven't done anything to prove myself because I know I'm good at what I do. Yeah. But to prove to someone that this is worth taking a gamble with, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a calculated gamble or whatever the term was, because it's there. The context, the context is there and it can reach out to more people. And the fact that Crafty is still selling after three years and selling, especially now, the lead up to Christmas. But, you know, I want people now to move over to Tales of Agro and see that Tales of Agro, they complement each other. Not one's better than the other, they complement each other. And your book cover, wonderful book cover, uh, Doc Martin Boots in a town called Malice. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Dean Kavanagh designed that. The the uh, my, you know the writer, I gave him I gave him some synopsis of the chapters, and he he sent me an email. I said, look, can I do the cover for you? I said, yeah, please do. And I didn't give him any guidelines. Those the DM boots, he got those from the idea. You remember we we obviously didn't see them, but if you look at YouTube clips of the Who, around about seventy four, seventy five, yeah. and you got Townsend in that white boiler suit with his DM boots. Oh, there. That's what they, I did. I didn't pay the homage to it. Dean put homage to it because he says when he read Tales of Agro, he said it was like reading the Who book. I'll take that as a compliment. I would take anything that you're referenced with the Who as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and that's quite because I started, you know, I started, I started really just like when I just like when I wrote Crafty Cigarette, I rediscovered the jam, I rediscovered Secret Fair, I rediscovered the sound of Motown and the Atlanta. When I was like Tales of Agro, because Tales of Agro is set in a Chevis Bush, I rediscovered the Who, you know, like watching the kids all right for the up thing thump but watching them differently. The documentary about Kit Lambert and the other manager whose name escapes me, uh, Chris Stamp, Chris Stamp, watching the documentary about them. And then I watched a great documentary about the Who when they made the original Quadrophenia in 1973 in the, she in the youth club in Shepherd's Bush. And I read, and I read Townsend's autobiography. And that suddenly really, really took me to another level because I suddenly got another 
insight to the who other than just being an original well, 60s band and the depth you know Townsend you know amazing 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 what he's done I'd love to get a copy of it I love to, and it, I will do that that will happen to get a copy to someone like Pete Townsend I can't call him Pete because I don't know him and just to see what they think if you could sum up Tales of Agro in one song or used a song to promote the book or to market the book what song would you use uh do anything by Alien Hot Rods. That's a quick title, or uh, maybe Tankle Malice. Let's go with that then, brother. Yeah, Tankle tank, yeah, tank Malice. Yeah, Tankle Malice because it's got that soul funky groove to it. Yeah, yeah. And at the tank time, at the time when the Jam recorded the gift, it probably was the greatest gift that any band has given to any set of supporters. Yeah, 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 and because the, the, their last book, large few songs that I said about '83 when the whole mod thing and the jazz funk thing was sort of overlapping as you know yep. you know along those lines and it was interesting and the thing is it's the great thing about you know we're the same generation we valued it then at the time so we're not looking back with rose tinted glasses and saying oh my word i missed out on that we felt that vibration as it was happening in 19 in the 80s and that's and that's a great feeling to have because you take it on further on in life as far as i'm concerned and we still remember that interview that Paul Weller done, I think, what was it for Nationwide TV, TV on, yeah. on Brighton Pier when he said he's going to one jam the jam? Yeah, that, 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 that's right, yeah. And he was really like, you know what I mean, you know what I mean? And like, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like, because I found on YouTube, as we all did, but I remember that he had that Burberry coat on. Yeah. And we all, we all like, having our, you know, it was, in, it was in the 80s, so you'd have your dinner on your on your lap in those days, you know, it wasn't like so sophisticated. And it'd be like, oh yeah, Paul, you know, putting your ketchup on them. And it was just, you sat there and it was like, and it was this time, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. it was December 1982. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, quite hard. So yeah, I remember that interview, yeah. Time yeah. flies and time has flown by with you, uh, Matteo. So can I thank you so much, you so much for that time and uh, good luck with the book, uh, Tale you. of Agro. Good luck with the still copies being sold of a crafty cigarette. And thank you. At to date, the unnamed title book of your third in the trilogy so far. And we're going to go ahead, mate, with uh, Town Called Malice by The Jam. Enjoy. Cheers, pal. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye